102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Brianna Brownell, CEO of Pure Strategy AI. She was named one of Authority Magazine's top women leaders in artificial intelligence. We will be talking about the future of artificial intelligence as it evolves in emotional learning. Thank you for joining me today, Brianna. You're very welcome. With artificial intelligence helping us to get smarter with finding effective solutions faster and beating the masters in chess, which is the IQ, now appears to be learning emotional intelligence, EQ, as well. So with the combination of both IQ and EQ, what exactly will artificial intelligence become? Well, I think that that's a really interesting question because for such a long time, we've been focused on the sort of intelligence part of artificial intelligence where we're trying to get computers to solve problems. And there has not been as much uh, work on looking at the emotional aspect and how we actually related to these kinds of machines. And so I think that the potential with looking at both areas is absolutely huge. I think it's going to be a massive change to how we relate with technology. Given how many people already enjoy talking to Alexa, it sounds like we could start developing an emotional relationship with artificial intelligence, right? Absolutely. And we've seen that for um, a number of years, even in the 50s when we had, you know, Eliza, which was one of the first chatterbots that was created, um, people would really, you know, tell deeply personal information to these chatbots. And it was really interesting because a lot of times, you know, the, the prompts that people were given were relatively benign or, you know, almost sort of, uh, they were quite kind of stale. They weren't really digging super deep in, into people's psyche. But, you know, as soon as people started talking to some of these chatterbots, having even something uh, like an AI on the other end, people just kept telling their deepest, darkest secrets. And, you know, it's quite fascinating that that was the case in the 50s. And it's certainly true today as well. So with the amount of data that's being collected about everyone today, I'm hearing that AI now understands you better than you understand yourself. Isn't this dangerous? This is absolutely dangerous. And, you know, and I think that there's a danger, but also a great potential because we can get insight into ourselves that would never have before been possible. Of course, you know, the danger with, people um, being able to use information about us to manipulate us, I think is a a major danger that we're facing in artificial intelligence right now, Um, especially given the amount of data that we provide to companies, um, you know, via social media, for example, 
um, you know, they're able to build a very uh, specific profile and know things about us that we don't necessarily know ourselves. So are we being manipulated today already since we're constantly being shown content that matches our activities or interests? I think that being manipulated, um, you know, is maybe not quite the, the right way to think about it. I think we're definitely being affected by um, some of the content that we're consuming as well as the algorithms that are utilized in the technologies that we're using. And I mean, when you think about it, um, the, the kinds of um, things that are happening are, are not new. So it's not new to be trying to, you know, appeal to people's emotions with um, advertising copy, for example. This has been happening for, you know, decades. Um, but what's different now is that um, we're able to personalize some of the information that each individual is consuming, um, and we're able to do that at scale. So if, if you think about it, you can build a better and better picture of what one individual person will react to. And, you know, whereas before it would never have been possible to get, you know, a, a personalized individual message to um, each person in a country, for example. Um, but now with the technology, we're able to all of a sudden do some of those things. Well, it's interesting because Cambridge Analytica knew how to determine who was undecided and who could be swayed with the right content during the 2016 election, right? So it's it's pretty personalized at that yes, absolutely. perspective sure. in terms of knowing who who to send what to and which is what's happening to us today. So as AI gets more sophisticated, wouldn't it become that we're becoming, I guess control maybe is not the right word, but we are being kind of led, right, by what's being shown to us? For sure. And and I think that uh, there's a lot of um, discussion about this topic um, going on right now in the AI community about what we want to do about, for example, um, targeted advertising and how that intersects with people's privacy. I mean, if you would have asked me even five years ago, um, you know, whether it was um, a problem with that we had a problem with um, people's privacy and, and the ability to manipulate people on a mass scale, you know, I, I would have said no because, you know, at that time, um, there was very little evidence that people had um, come to harm due to being targeted with um, advertising, with content, with, you know, a number of other things. And so, uh, but I think that we can all agree that that's no longer the case. And so things have really shifted quite quickly from um, seeming to be relatively benign um, to actually being uh, something that is a, a huge issue in the world today. But as is learning emotional um, empathy, for example, right, emotions such as that, like we're going to become more responsive at a deeper level, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I think that there's sort of, um, there's, there's two sides to that. The first one is, um, 
being able to have a um, an AI or technology system that um, takes advantage of your emotional state and and the emotions that it can instill in you as a human person. Um, And that kind of manipulation has been happening for, you know, decades or or even centuries, actually. So, you know, if you look at um, the romance scams that happen all of the time, you have um, people who are um, who are preying on on people's emotions to, um, you know, fraudulently, you know, get them to send money to, you know, do all kinds of different things. And so um, that's one uh, part of it. Um, but the other part is to be able to sort of understand uh, the way that uh, human emotions can be um, sort of used for creating action. And so um, if you look at that, it's kind of like the opposite of um, using the emotion for manipulation. It's understanding um, the emotion itself. And, and the work that I see going on in that area, I think, is incredibly interesting because... Um, it provides a way to deeply understand ourselves in a way that we never could before. Yeah, but at the same time, though, if it's artificial intelligence is being programmed to be smarter and more empathetic, it's able to monitor, calibrate, and respond, right, in the direction that you want to hear, at the same time, the question is, what is the end goal? Is it the artificial intelligence driving this, or is it the creator driving this? So it's a little bit of both. Um, depending on the methodology that's used to create the um, AI itself, a lot of it is driven by the creator, because, of course, they're the ones that are choosing which algorithms to use, uh, they're the ones that are choosing the the parameters of uh, the model that you know forms the basis of the AI. Um, but at the end of the day, there's also the data that's fed into it and the way in which these systems can learn. Um, and that's a lot uh, more of a mystery because you know you can have cases where um, the AI system that you build, can surprise you in in ways that you never thought possible. And so we're seeing a lot of really interesting, sometimes terrifying, sometimes exciting results um, because of these kinds of things. So shouldn't there be parameters put around, um, I don't know whether it's a collection of data or the end goal as to how far um, artificial intelligence can go in terms of of the decision-making involved? Mm-hmm. There, there's a huge effort um, in standardization in artificial intelligence right now. And those are some of the questions that we're looking at. Um, because definitely there's a question of how do we know whether a system that we create is biased, for example? How do we know um, how a system that we create works, even at the base level? Um, can we understand and interpret the way that the decisions are being made? And especially when we have a extremely important decision, things like, you know, determining who gets bail or not, or determining, um, you know, who gets a job or not, or determining, you know, all kinds of other things, all of those factors are, are extremely important. And so, 
um, the standardization effort uh, looks at things like what parts of the algorithms that we're creating should be transparent. Um, how should we be able to audit these kinds of systems? Um, how should we govern the data that goes into these systems? Are there, um, are there parameters around how we collect the data? For example, um, collecting information from vulnerable populations. How should we do that in a uh, respectful way? So there, there's all of these questions I think are coalescing because right now we have these systems that we're creating that have a profound effect on um, the way that we live our everyday lives. And so these questions are, you know, they're huge and they're being tackled by a lot of people around the world. And I think it's exciting because we're all of a sudden seeing um, people providing solutions to some of the challenges that have been in this field for decades. You raised an interesting point about bias. I did read about a healthcare system that was, I guess, the artificial intelligence in that case was showing discrimination against certain groups in the population. So the, is the bias then is built in by the creator of that system, correct, as to what to look um, for and it, screen out? It's, uh, it, it's not necessarily um, the bias of the creator. Um, often it's the bias of the data that's used to create the model. Um, so there, there's always a risk uh, to when you're collecting data and when, when you're building a system like this, that there's a uh, misrepresentative um, sort of group within your data set that allows, um, you know, a, a biased model to be created from that data set. So, you know, in most cases, it's not that, you know, the creator is deliberately trying to um, create a biased model and, and you know, um, create something that's oppressive to certain groups of people. Um, it's just the result of a, a bunch of diff different factors that are going together. But I mean, the, the plus side is that now that we can recognize some of the challenges in that area, we can take steps to mitigate that bias. So we can deliberately put into our processes ways that we can um, ensure that the biased data set is sort of um, created in a certain way that when we have the output, we don't have some of these systematic biases that we might usually have. Good to know. We're going to take a quick break and thank our underwriters. Be back on the future of artificial intelligence as it evolves in emotional learning. Support for KXSF comes from Lady Falcon Coffee Club, an iconoclastic, only in San Francisco, coffee roastery. Born and blended by the beach in the outer sunset and female-owned and operated, look for Lady Falcon Coffee Club beans at Byright, Williams-Sonoma, Gus's, Rainbow Grocery, Good Eggs, and other fine food vendors, or at their vintage mobile coffee truck about town. Learn more by visiting their website at ladyfalconcoffeeclub.com. Thanks for supporting San Francisco Community Radio. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. 
I was talking with Brianna Brunel before the break about the future of artificial intelligence as it evolves in emotional learning. So back to the humanistic aspect of how artificial intelligence is evolving, will we start to develop a deeper relationship because artificial intelligence is going to be able to respond to us in a more human way? I think we absolutely will. And we've already seen um, cases where people do form emotional attachments to, um, you know, some of these chatterbots, some of these sort of AI systems. And so as we um, improve them, I think it's, it's um, pretty obvious that it's going to become something that's much more common. You had mentioned about your personal experience with a software program you created and you became attached to it and you couldn't destroy it. Can you talk about the story and the insight that came from it? Yes, absolutely. I, I think, you know, this is one of the, the most profound um, experiments that I did in artificial intelligence. So this is when I was really early in just learning about how some of these systems work. And I was in university and what I did is I created this uh, program, essentially, that uh, made these little kind of virtual beings. And they lived in their little virtual world. And they, you know, I had all of this set up so that they could evolve and they could, you know, um, you know go into their virtual and sort of live their virtual lives. And uh, so, you know, I programmed all of this and, and uh, uh, left it to run to sort of see what would happen went to bed, and uh, the next morning when I woke up and I went to sort of see what had happened, I noticed that, you know, the world was completely different from what I had expected when I had initially programmed it. And so I paused the simulation with the idea that, you know, I would go and, you know, read the logs and sort of see what, what had happened. And a strange thing happened when I went to um, look at all of these different files. For some reason, I just felt that I couldn't, I couldn't delete them. Like I couldn't restart the simulation. And it was very strange because it was such a profound feeling of like that these little virtual beings had their own virtual life. And, you know, it was something that was so profound for me that it really carried through all of my experiments with artificial intelligence, because I think that, you know, humans have a natural um, ability to sort of identify uh, with other um, beings, whether they be, you know, animals or, or virtual beings. And, and so, you know, me feeling this strong feeling of, you know, that I couldn't get rid of this file is evidence of that. It's interesting that you raise this because it's going to evolve pretty quickly. And people are already projecting that you could even have a relationship with, let's say, if the artificial intelligence is put into a robot, that you could have a relationship with artificial intelligence. And wouldn't this disrupt the way we view relationships? I think it would be completely dis disruptive to how we view relationships now. And um, it's an interesting idea because, you know, there's really no reason to think that that is not going to be the case. 
I mean, I certainly don't think that that's going to be the case, um, you know, within the next decade or the, you know, the next two decades. But I think that it's a question that we're going to have to really seriously think about as humans is, you know, whether we eventually want to grant an artificial intelligence personhood or some kind of a um, recognition of the intelligence of that um, digital being. But this personhood changes everything. Absolutely. And, you know, and personhood is one of those terms that has such an you know, a, a really interesting and controversial history because, you know, the, the idea behind personhood is that a person can um, own property and um, cannot be owned as property. And so those are sort of, you know, um, the fundamental pieces of, of that puzzle. And so I think that we want to be able to think about, like, what does that mean for um, our creation of virtual beings in the future? I want to back up and ask, if we're teaching artificial intelligence to make better decisions than we can, and we're relying on it to make decisions over time, won't our judgment be driven by artificial intelligence? There's definitely uh, an issue and a challenge with um, the the trust that we put into some of these systems. Like, there's um, a really interesting story that uh, was told by Hannah Fry, the uh, mathematician. Um, so basically, she tells a story of this um, carload of, of tourists who were trying to find their way to, to a certain place using GPS. And uh, the GPS took them on a route that um, was through a, uh, a body of water, right? So there was no road. Um, you know, they basically, the GPS told them to go through the water. And they followed the directions of the GPS and got stuck and, you know, and had to get, um, you know, emergency personnel out there to, to sort of, uh, uh, to get them, get them to be safe. Um, and so I think that that really showcases one of the risks that we face with some of these technologies is that when we um, put so much trust in the algorithm um, that it clouds our better judgment. And so because we're still really new at, you know, how we're relating to AI in terms of decision-making, this is something that I think is going to become more and more important as people sort of run into some of these issues, because really you shouldn't have these technologies that um, allow you to essentially pass off all of your decision-making um, to an algorithm without the ability to um, sort of challenge the results that that system comes up with. But it's happening today, right? We're being show content. We're kind of being led by the content that we're being shown. We're glued to the devices. The device is showing us like what we should be doing now. It's, how do I say? It's hard, how do you put ethical parameters into place or how do we, I guess it's a matter of just putting everything down and just focus on what we're thinking and what we believe is right. I mean, how do we do this? And then it sounds like we also need to do it on a societal or policy level too, right? Yep. Definitely. The ethical question around artificial intelligence is one of those ones where 
I think that it's going to take a um, people from all areas of society to come together to have a real um, discussion about some of these issues. So, you know, the, the challenge that we're facing now is that, you know, technology is moving so quickly, faster than we can create these ethical frameworks to keep up with them. And so I think that um, I'm starting to see a lot of collaboration between different uh, different groups of people in terms of how we deal with some of these um, ethical issues around artificial intelligence. And I certainly think that within, you know, the next five years, it's going to become a, a absolute requirement for companies to um, have an ethicist to understand the implications of the systems that they're building. And so, you know, I love that um, people are starting to really um, collaborate on some of these big, big issues because many of them haven't been solved. And so having that collaboration, I think, is going to really um, empower people to sort of have control over these technological systems rather than the other way around. So as you pointed out, it's evolving so quickly that we can't keep up with it. And it's beating masters in chess. It's doing everything better than we can, technically speaking. Will it become like the movie Mother? Have you seen it? Where I haven't, no. You haven't seen it? Oh, you have to see it. Um, where the artificial intelligence decides that the human thinking is flawed, it can do better than humans. So it just destroys all perceived weak versions of human that are not considered viable in its current form. Do you think that's possible that over time artificial intelligence is going to basically overrule everything else and kind of take over? I think it's possible, but I think that the bigger risk is not that artificial intelligence uh, is going to sort of deliberately do something negative towards humans or humankind. I think that the more likely scenario is that um, the AI that we create is going to have a different goal than we do, and we're just essentially going to um, be a casualty because, you know, our existence is not aligned with their goal. And, you know, certainly uh, many other people have commented on this, uh, this topic as well. Um, but, you know, if you think about things like, you know, the, the, the number of zebras that are left in the world, well, it isn't really that, you know, humans hate zebras and, you know, and we don't want uh, zebras in the world. It's just that zebras are just not aligned with our industrial, um, you know, economic world anymore. And so um, the, the reason that there are fewer and fewer zebras around isn't because something deliberate that we've done to, um, to you know, kill or limit the population of zebras they're just a, a unintended casualty of the way that our world works. And so um, what I see as the danger with AI is that, you know, the same kind of thing could happen where um, uh, an AI might have different goals from humans and, you know, we're just unintentionally a casualty of them meeting their goals. So it would be like the film Terminator where the machines rise and take over? <laughs> Yeah, so I don't think it's going to be quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but I have to admit, um, being, you know, working in AI, people um, ask me about the, the Terminator movies more than any other uh, science fiction movie or, or, you know, or book or anything. So I, I think it's interesting that um, we're always looking at that sort of existential threat when we talk about AI. Well, it's interesting, right, because robotic science is also evolving. So if you have a combination yeah. of artificial intelligence that can now mimic human emotions, and then now you have, uh, and it's intertwined with robotic science, it is, it seems possible. For sure. And and it's interesting because even, you know, for millennia, humans have been thinking about and writing stories about um, human-like robots. Like, there are many, many myths about um, sort of mechanical uh, human-like robots. And so, I mean, it's interesting because we've always been fascinated with this. And um, so all of a sudden, the technology is getting better and better that, you know, all of these old stories and all of these old myths are sort of um, coming back and becoming extremely relevant uh, now that we have the technology that can can actually do some of these things. I think you called it personhood, right? That eventually yeah. could be given to a robot. And let's say um, a, a human decides that the robot can empathize better than another human being and there's less conflict. And then now that it's been granted this personhood, technically you could be married to a robot. I think you could be. And um, what's interesting about that is that is also a very ancient idea. Um, this is not something that just started, people started thinking about within the last few years. This is something that people have been um, talking about and, and, and thinking about the sort of ethical and, you know, societal implications of for millennia. And so I think that it's important to reopen some of these old discussions that have been happening throughout history to inform uh, the place that we are now around these questions, because, you know, um, a lot of these things are questions that humans have struggled with and have thought about for, you know, for millennia. Or maybe some, a vision we've always had, and now we're making it happen. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So, so now we have some of the technology um, that we are able to see it as a realistic possibility that's going to come sooner rather than later. It's, it's no longer in the completely speculative um, area, all of a sudden uh, we're able to say, you know, this might really happen and, and we need to really think about it and be prepared for you know, what this means for society. How do we create boundaries then that will prevent us from allowing artificial intelligence to be making the decisions that we should be making? Well, I think it all comes back to that collaborative conversation around the ethics of AI systems. Because there are so many um, cultural factors, um, you know, like legal factors, there are all kinds of things that feed into a framework like this, that um, having the discussion and opening it up to um, people to be able to participate in some of these conversations, I think is the only way that we can really move forward. Because otherwise, 
Um, you know, if we have, let's say, a small, um, you know, small group of people who who's making the decisions um, on this technology, um, that's going to impact everybody. I, I think that that's not going to be a good outcome. And so, um, what I see as a real positive is that um, these conversations are starting to happen. They're starting to um, include people within all sorts of different areas, different, you know, areas, different professions, different backgrounds, all, all kinds of things like that. And um, it's only through working through some of these issues together that I think that we're going to solve some of these problems. And then it sounds like there needs to be policy level involvement as well. So it's standardized across the world, right? You don't have yeah. one group. Yeah. Focus on creating yeah. robots, you know, that we're going to marry today. Um, For sure. Like, I mean, you know, if you look at um, the way that our, you know, the regulatory framework around, you know, different industries is set up, um, especially when you're looking at things like autonomous cars, um, there's already a lot of, like, regulatory frameworks around certain industries like that that include artificial intelligence within um, within those systems. And so um, it's, it's straightforward to think that, you know, this is going to continue and this is going to um, be updated to include um, some of the, the new considerations based on the technology that we're implementing. So what are the top three takeaways that the listeners should consider when they think about artificial intelligence? I think that for me anyway, like one of the the challenges that I really find in the, you know, AI community and, and, you know, with uh, technology that seems very futuristic like this is that um, people don't necessarily think that they are able to participate in the discussion around it. And um, I'm here to say that, that is not at all the case. I think that everybody um, has an important voice in some of these conversations that, that we're having around artificial intelligence. And so, you know, that would be my number one takeaway um, is that uh, definitely there's a place for everybody to be involved in these conversations. Um, as far as other areas um, with artificial intelligence, I think that um, being able to uh, uh, look at the sort of technical um, background of creating some of these systems, I think, is going to become more and more important for everyone. So, you know, I would encourage everyone to um, have a look at um, learning how to code, looking at machine learning, looking at, um, you know, what data um, can be used for within your profession or, you know, within your, your educational career. I think that that's uh, another extremely important um, area. Um, and I would say third would be to think about um, the questions of AI technology in its historical context. Because I think, especially when we're talking about really new technology, Often there's a, um, a risk to look at only what the, the newest, newest cutting-edge um, questions and newest cutting-edge um, discussions are, whereas there's a lot of really important um, nuanced uh, history around this topic that has been with us for, for a really long time. And so um, getting that historical context and looking at, you know, how some of these 
challenges have been discussed in the past, I think is really important to allow us essentially to to figure out how we want to create our own future, how we want to create our own future with AI. Those are really good points. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Brianna. Yes, thank you very much. I enjoyed it.